0: We are still in the series of uh, Faith Alive. And this morning is one of those fun topics that we get to talk about. I don't necessarily feel like you have to go too deep. There's a few challenges that I'm going to give us this morning. L- let me say this, and you've probably heard me say it again. Uh, we, we had some pr- a prayer summit, Grace Prayer Summit, this, this past few days, Friday night and Saturday. And really, it's, it's pastors and leaders coming together and praying for what God wants for our church family in the coming year. And one of the things that I felt so strongly going into it was that God wanted to both challenge us and compel us. And then I began to think, that's not just for a prayer time. That's not just for a prayer summit. Really, anytime I spend with God, anytime, especially if I'm getting into his word like we are this morning, it should both be challenging and compelling. And if something, if one of those two things is missing in your life, then I would just say, man, lean in just a little bit further, right? Right? sink in just a little bit deeper. Because every time I get into God's word, I'm confronted with who I am. And then compared to who Jesus is, and to the way that God wants me to live, the way that God wants me to worship, the, gay, the way that God, God wants me to present Jesus. And so this morning, I hope that we're both uh, challenged and compelled. Um, but we're talking about Seeing what's coming in the future, the the end times, but living with hope. And listen, as believers, we live with hope. We sang about it this morning, waiting for Christ's return. Also, we can face death with hope, knowing that to be absent from this body means we are present with the Lord. I hope that's our understanding as Christ followers, that we have this great anticipation that Jesus will return one day and we can live with that hope. But we also can live with a hope that if I pass away before Jesus comes... The hope is there's something after and not just something, but something incredible. There's there's been a few times in my life where I've spent this time trying to study like what heaven will will be like because scripture is pretty vague. And each time I get caught up in that, I I, I always sense God just saying, listen, uh, it's, it's just it's too much. It's too much for you. Like, even if I can show you, you couldn't handle it. But we live with that hope that if I die today or tomorrow or next week, that it, it's not over for, for me. Life continues and continues and continues. And the awesome part about that is we're now in the presence of God. We're going through the book of uh, First Thessalonians. I hope that you're kind of reading ahead uh, the, whole, uh, the whole book as we're going through this series. Uh, but I want to talk about some of the things that the Thessalonians uh, believers, those in Thessalonia, would have been uh, struggling with because as soon as the birth, the, the birth of the church happened in the book of Acts and then spread throughout the world, it didn't take long for uh, what we would see in Scripture, false teachers, to arise. By the way, there's still false teachers today, and sometimes false teachers, they're saying things that aren't true, I think, with very good intent, um, but with too much emotion uh, involved. Because the reality is this, there's things I wish God would say, and sometimes there's things I wish he would say differently or not say at all, but they're right there, I'm confronted with them, and I have to believe them. Sometimes I don't like them only because the challenge that it brings to my flesh or my <laughs> way of thinking. But the, the believers in Thessala, uh, Thessalonian, uh, Thessalonica, uh, were facing false teaching that Jesus had already returned. In fact, that has circulated from time to time, even in our world today. Uh, they were facing the fact that believers who had quit working to wait for Christ's return. How many of y'all remember um, the 88 reasons Jesus was coming back in 88? Do you, how many of y'all are old enough to remember? Okay, yeah, and it's happened a few times, but 88 was probably the, the biggest one that happened that I, that I remember, yes, I'm that old. Uh, where all of a sudden you had, you had all sorts of crazy things happening, even in the church. So many Christians now began to live as if Jesus was about to return, so I didn't have to go to work anymore. Like, who wants to go to work today if Jesus is returning in three days? Like, I, I, I'm okay. I, a lot of Christians fell into this whole thing of, man, I'm going to go out and buy a bunch of stuff on credit because I'm not going to have to, like, this is real things happen. There was articles written about it and some interviews that happened because so many people got convinced that Jesus was returning in just a few days or weeks or months whenever, the, whenever that false teaching or perception came out. It was crazy. It was crazy. And and the believers in Thessalonica, like, they were dealing with this belief because it was just circling that Jesus had already returned. I'm thinking if I was that believer, where's the hope? If Jesus has already come back for his church, like, where's the hope for me? But that's one of the things they were struggling with. They had questions about the deceased and what happens to those who die before Christ's return. I, to me, there's still things that, questions that circulate in my mind even when I read scripture about what happens when, when Jesus returns, and we'll read about that in just a few minutes. I'm like, What is it really like to be absent from the body but present with the Lord? Like, does that happen in the instant? Do, do we see something happen like we see on TV? Well, you see the light, you see the light, uh, and you walk towards the light, or well, don't walk towards the light. Right, how, how does all that happen? There's questions that circulate in, in my mind, but these, these believers then we're, were dealing with so many faults. Teachings. It was just a few years ago. In fact, there was uh, somebody in Florida that was claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be Jesus incarnate, back in flesh, walking the earth. Uh, and it was so um, disheartening to me um, because he was growing a very large church, and, and there were so many believers that were giving everything. When I say everything, they were giving their houses, they were giving their cars, they were giving all their money, they were giving everything to him because they believed that he was the Messiah. So even though we see here uh, in Thessalonica that they were dealing with that, I mean, it still circulates today. Uh, that's why it's so important for us to be grounded in the truth of God's word. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 13 through 18, and then we're going to kind of break them down to see a few points for this morning. First Thessalonians chapter four, starting in verse thirteen, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind, who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. Verse 15 according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not proceed precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Like, what does that look like? Is anybody fascinated by that verse? Like, this is so fascinating to me. The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with those words. Like this is it's just full of hope because we see a very clear picture of what it's going to look like. Obviously, there's still some vagueness. Uh, but when Jesus returned, what's going to happen? So there's a, this hope that we can live with as Christ followers. For those who have already died and were following Jesus, their bodies are going to be raised when Jesus comes back, that's fascinating to me. But we who are still alive will meet Jesus and them. Now, here's, here's probably a misconception. I wish we had time to go into this in great detail because I love thinking about the end times. If, if you are one who, who have the perception that when Jesus comes back, we have this word rapture that we'll talk about in just a minute, uh, but we're caught up with him and that we go straight to heaven, that's not actually what happens. Like, we don't, that, we don't meet Jesus and then go straight to heaven. We actually come back to a new earth, which is so cool. I don't know what that new earth means. So let me give you another. This is just David. This is not theology. So could we stop the recording, please? <laughs> this is just Davidology. This is not theology. Because I always have, I, was, I think I was having a conversation with you just the other day. Like I, I always had this thought of like, my mind just trips out sometimes and sometimes I want all the details and I just, I don't have them yet. But uh, this whole thing of what happens, so if, if this is taking place, we meet Jesus and then we come back and we participate in the rule and reign of Jesus for a thousand years on a new earth, which that's just so crazy cool. With the absence of sin, now let's get that clear too. Like nothing but Jesus, nothing but the glory of God, the absence of sin, that's just so I can't even imagine. Like right now, the presence of God is everywhere, but also the presence of sin is everywhere. And in these thousand years, as we rule and reign with Jesus, like, there's no presence of sin. That's just so awesome to me. But we receive, like, this glorified body. I don't know about you. I wish, like, glorified body meant, like, I'm now ripped. Um, I'm 6'2". Maybe I'd settle with 6'1". Just just over six feet. Uh, Like, for me, like, that's where my mind used to go. Glorified body, man, I'm gonna look like an angel. However, when Jesus was dead, buried, and resurrected and came back, people recognized him as Jesus. So then, my, then I got really worried. Like, wait a second. If I die at 230 pounds, do I stay for eternity? <laughs> at two, do I keep this double chin for, e, for eternity? Because Jesus looked like Jesus. I don't know. That's Davidology. I don't. I don't know if that's like a. There was no weight. I don't have anything to sell you to to lose weight or, or get in shape. Uh, anyways, let's let's get into the message here. So, what does this mean? Living with hope. The first thing is this: Jesus will return to receive the redeemed. Ah, oh, that was a perfect time to go. Whoa! Especially if you're redeemed, right? Jesus will return to receive the redeemed. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven, covered. God no longer holds those things into account. That is amazing that God does that. But that means that you're redeemed. Your life has been redeemed, and Jesus will return for both the living and the dead, those who have been redeemed. We see that in verses 15 and 16 that we just read. Jesus came the first time to establish the way of salvation through giving his life. His second appearance will be to receive all those who have accepted him as Savior. I can't wait for that day. Anybody with me? Like every once in a while, I feel like I'm just, you know, I'm just gonna give God a hint and give him a head start. And I'm like, all right, this time. Nothing, nothing happens yet. But I live with this great anticipation that one day God's gonna return for all of his family. All those that are called sons and daughters of God. God's gonna send his son Jesus back for everyone that's been redeemed. Look at the second thing. I'm gonna rush through these first things so that we can get to kind of some application points. The second thing is this. Believers who have died will be resurrected. We see that in 15 and 16. When Jesus returns, he will raise the body of the deceased and will unite body and soul into one being to share his glory forever. That's amazing. That's what like to me trips me out. Because I don't know, I think that those who are alive, and I don't know, maybe all this happens so quickly that we're not seeing anything take place, and then all of a sudden we're just like, Whoa! Uh But in my mind, I'm thinking, if I'm alive when Jesus comes, and all of a sudden I see the dead, the bodies of the dead, now come back to form, united with, I'm seeing all this happen, because then it says, then, I'm, then I meet them. Like, that's crazy awesome to me. I think it's going to be like glorious. I don't think that it's going to be one of those things that happens so quickly that we don't see anything take place, and then all of a sudden we just recognize that we're back on this new earth, ruling and reigning with Jesus. I think it's going to be something that we're seeing and we're witnessing, and I don't know how we process that, Uh, but for God to do all, set all this up in this amazing fashion, I think he wants us to participate, every part of who we are, to participate in that. But isn't that awesome just to think about believers who have died will be resurrected, The Christian doctrine of resurrection assures us that the death in this body is not the end. The body goes to sleep as we see described here in Thessalonians, but the soul and the spirit go to be with the Lord. Let's look at the third thing. Believers who are alive at Jesus' return will be raptured. And listen, I know that's been argued in the past, well, the word rapture never appears in scripture, but the definition of rapture does, that we're caught up, caught up in the air. So that's what happens for believers. If you're still alive, when Jesus comes back, we're caught up in the air. The word rapture means to be caught up. As Jesus returns, the believers who are alive will be transfigured and receive a heavenly body. They will exit this earth to be present with Jesus. Man. Man. Can't you just wait? Like, I can't wait for that to happen. So as we see in the scripture, for us that are waiting, we're still alive. As Jesus comes back, all of this is taking place. The dead in Christ rise, their bodies meet uh, their soul. And then we who are alive, we unite with them. So now we're together with Jesus. All the believers who have died before us, we now meet up with them. And then we come back and rule and reign on this earth for a 1,000 years. But that's what, the, that's what the rapture is, and we need to uh, be excited about that. Uh, and we're going to talk about, be, we need to be more than just excited, which we'll talk about in just a moment. The fourth thing is this, as believers, we will be present with Jesus forever. As redeemed, we will experience the wonder of being in the presence of Jesus and enjoy the blessing of heaven Heaven will be a place of rejoicing, reunion, and reward. So this whole process that, that is laid out for us in scriptures, we meet Jesus in the air, uh, we come back, rule and reign on this a, a new earth for a thousand years, and then we live in eternity in heaven. Whatever that is, whatever that means, I don't think that we have a clear picture of what that is. And even if we did, we couldn't process that Or understand it. You you do realize, like even when when we see the book of Revelation uh, being written or penned, you know John who's seeing all this, he's doing his best to Ezekiel. Like if you read some stuff in Ezekiel, like man, that is like weird. Dude was tripping when he wrote this. Uh, But it's just humanity. It's us trying to think as and process my human way of thinking, my human mind trying to process. So John in the book of Revelation, he was trying to process in a very human way what he was seeing what God was showing him. I think, he did a, I think he did a great job, but I don't think it even scratches the surface of what we're gonna see and what we're going to experience. But I, I can't wait. I can't wait. So how should we live in expectation of Jesus' return? Now, here's the challenging part. So I really want us to lean in. I think most of what we've gone through already was, is probably known. Maybe we haven't talked about it in a while. You haven't thought about it in a while. But I think most of that's already known. But here's some challenging part. Because we never have this indication in Scripture that when we come to know Jesus, that now for the rest of our life here on this earth, it's just about me and my relationship with him. That's a big part of it. And everything comes from that. But living in expectation of Jesus' return doesn't mean that I now lock myself in a room, uh, make sure I have enough food, but lock myself in a room and just wait for him to come back. That's not what it means at all. I do anticipate, I do have this great expectation of Jesus' return, but what am I supposed to do while we're waiting for that? There was this wonderful worship song, um, I, I think it's, it was called While I Wait, a wonderful worship song written a few years ago, and I loved it because it said, while I'm waiting, I'm gonna do these things. I'm gonna worship, right? So how should we live in expectation of Jesus' return? Here's the first thing, and, and maybe, the, maybe the most challenging of the three the first thing is live with a passion for evangelism. In fact, yesterday in our, in our prayer time, one of the pr- things that we were praying for is that we as grace would have a burden for the lost. And, and I would say, I mean, that's, just, that's not just for grace as an organization. I mean, that's for all of us as Christ followers that we have this burden for the lost, we'll talk a little more about that, but live with a passion for evangelism. Jesus himself said that he came to seek and save the lost. Like that was his number one reason for living in this earth to seek and save the lost. Everything he did was about finding the lost and connecting them with the Father right? Everything that he did, all the, all the ways that he ministered in compassion, all the healings that took place, all the miracles that took place were about connecting people with the Father. He came to seek and save the lost. Have you ever thought about the fact that the reason that you are still alive today as a Christ follower is to do the same, seek and save the lost? Now, let me be clear here because there's nothing that you do that can save anybody, fact there's nothing that you can say you can you can quote scripture all day long and not see anyone saved it's the holy spirit through what you're doing that draws people to salvation however we have to have the same heart of jesus that we're not only knowing that there's lost people how many of you know that there's lost people around you we all know that but we've got to bring ourselves to a place where now i'm not just knowing that there's lost i'm actually seeking them out praying "If, if my neighbor doesn't know jesus how am I going to introduce Jesus to him, to them, to her, to the kids? We've got to live with a passion for evangelism. Being a Christ follower means I live as Jesus lived. My focus can't just be on how I draw close to Jesus. My focus has to be how do I draw others close to Jesus, no matter how far they are. So here's, here's three ways Here's three ways. And I actually think, although these can be challenging, I think they're, they're quite simple and easy. But here's three ways to be active in, in evangelism. And, and so I, as I go through these three ways, uh, you're going to fall into one of these. You might say that you're an introvert. Man, I'm so, I, I just don't do well talking to people. And so I'm going to give you a way that you can still live with a passion for evangelism as we go through these three ways. The first thing is this. Tell people. Tell people about Jesus. And, and don't be so caught up in the fact that I've got to quote scripture. Just tell people about Jesus. What has Jesus done in your life? If you're saved, you have a starting point. Your starting point is, man, I was once dead, but now the Bible says that I'm alive, right? And now I will, n- I will never die again. This body may pass away, but my soul, my spirit lives for eternity with Jesus, like, that's a starting point. How about this? A starting point, which I think is quite exciting, is that Jesus' blood, his sacrifice, paid for all of your sins. Like, isn't that incredible? People, people want to hear that. I talk with so many people who are just struggling with their life decisions, man. They're caught up in so much. In fact, I had, I had somebody just the other day, I, I love how people sometimes view pastors. I, I knew right away what his background was, but he said, so you're a priest? you're a priest? Or a preacher, are you your pastor? And I'm like, I'm one of, the, I'm one of those things, yes. Uh, but they wanted to spend some time with me because they said, man, I just, you know, I just need to get some things off my chest. I, I'm pretty sure that he meant like confession, which I'm looking forward to meeting with him to find out all his trash. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I'm looking forward to meeting with him because I'm so excited to say, listen, there's nothing that I can do about what you've done but the person that I know, the Savior that I serve, man, he can set you free from all of that. And he can not only pay for your sin, he can also take away the guilt and the shame that you're experiencing as a result of that. Um, but the first thing is tell people, look at, you don't have to turn there because I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. Uh, Luke chapter 8, <laughs> I wrote verse 39 through 39. Uh Verse 38 through 39. I love this. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus, this is the story of the demoniac. Jesus crosses over uh, the lake. He gets there. He's met by the demoniac. Jesus delivers him. Uh, he's clothed. And he's naked in chains. And But now he's delivered and he's clothed. And the Bible says he's, he's in his right mind, which I love the description. that he, But now he begins to ask Jesus, I want to go with you. Jesus is about to leave. And the, the demoniac says, I want the delivered demoniac. I want to go with you. And this is what happens. The man from whom demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, listen to this, this is important. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. It's a starting point. So the man went away and told all over town how Jesus had, what Jesus had done for him. Listen, as I read this, I really do believe, as you study out the history of that area, this is a very pagan area. I believe that this demoniac who was just delivered now becomes the first evangelist of that whole area. Because later the disciples come back and there's actually mention of Jesus and there's churches starting. This is incredible. This guy is, it just experiences this miraculous event in his life where he is delivered from many demons. He wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus says, "Listen, it's, it's important for you to go back and tell everyone what just happened. Listen, when we come in and we encounter Jesus in this place, the important thing is that we leave and we tell people about what Jesus has done for us. And I hope that every time we gather together and worship that God is doing something in your life. He's speaking something to you. He's transforming some part of you. And Jesus is saying, go tell people. Go tell people. So maybe right away you're like, man, that's just so difficult. Like, how do I start those conversations? I just say start. I believe that if you'll step out and you'll open your mouth and open the door for God, that the things that you begin to say are far beyond what you were thinking or maybe not thinking. I was, uh, I was teaching at a youth camp one time, and, and I felt like God was bringing us into a moment. We were, the whole week was about the Holy Spirit, uh, but he was bringing me into a moment where he wanted to, to give some words of knowledge. If you don't know what that means, it would mean that God would give me a word for someone that I couldn't I could know those details or that information. And man, I was sweating, dude. I was so scared because I knew what he was telling me to do. And I'm like, Jesus, can we just pray? Let's just pray, right? Let's, um, it's, it'd be easier just to form in groups and pray, but I knew what he was telling me to do. And I was so, I'm being honest with you, I, I was so hesitant and I just kept saying, no, let's do something else. Let's do something else. And, and then all of a sudden he, he began, and I can't even remember the name. It, the whole night was a blur to me. Uh, but all of a sudden I, I, I knew that God was saying, I want you to call out this name. And It was actually a first and last name that first time. A first and last name, call it out. Called I'm like, no, God, I don't, I'm not doing that. I mean, you give me all the details first, or I'm not, do- what's going to happen? Like, just call somebody's name out. That's weird. And I finally, through all this wrestling, and I'm actually still trying to minister this whole time, and, but all this is happening in my spirit. I, I say in my mind, maybe that's where the battle takes place. But all of a sudden, I just stepped in this place of like, all right, I'm going to be obedient. I called out the name, first and last name. And everybody just like stopped and looked, and now I'm like, oh. And then all of a sudden, he began to say, listen, this is what I want you to speak to them. And man, we got into some great detail. In fact, even so much as, you know, I began, I called a, a person's name. And, and look, when, when I stepped into this zone, I was like, man, this is, this, I don't want to do this because this is, um, he was leading me to minister to a, a girl who was sexually molested just before coming to camp. And even gave me the detail that it was her uncle. And so I wrestled with that. I, I, I called out. She immediately starts bawling. It was a wonderful group of teenagers that just began to get around her. Obviously, some leaders came. There was some processing that had to happen after that as well because there's some legal obligations now that we fall under. But what I'm saying is tell people because as soon as you open your mouth, that's what happened with me. As soon as you open your mouth, God begins to give you, the Holy Spirit begins to give you the words to speak. So if you're terrified of that, I'm with you. I'm with you. But he's going to show up every time. Why? Because he cares about that person more than you care about that person. He wants them to come to know Jesus. So the first thing is tell people. Here's the second thing. Show people. Show people. First, or, or John uh, chapter 24 and 25. A second time they summoned a the man who had been blind. You'll know the story as I read it. Uh, give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. They were trying to tri- trip him up. We know this man, speaking of Jesus, we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner, he replied, the blind man who was just healed and is now seeing, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. Yeah, do that, right? So show people. When God does something tremendous in your life, show people. Don't be hesitant to show people what God is doing in your life. I love this because we, we, I've talked about it a lot through the, the last series and this series. We've got to just stop telling people. We've got to demonstrate who Jesus is. This, this guy didn't know a lot. He says, I don't really know who this guy Jesus is. He might be a sinner, but I do know this. I was blind, and now I'm not. I was blind, but now I see. Listen, we've got to show people, develop a passion for evangelism by showing people what Jesus is doing in your heart, what he's doing in your life. I love that. It. It's not about knowledge. This guy knew nothing, literally nothing. He just experienced this miracle by Jesus and he's showing people. Here's the last thing. So, this is, this is where many might fall especially if you consider you're an introvert or this, is just in, this part of your life hasn't come to fruition yet telling people, showing people. Bring people. Bring people. I love this story. Uh, but, John. Uh, 1, 40 and 42, as Jesus is gathering the disciples, this is all at the same time. It says this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah and he brought him to Jesus. Man, this is so imp- and listen, this is outside of any conversation about church growth. I'm talking about kingdom expansion. If they end up going to the church down the road as long as they're preaching Jesus, I'm excited about that. I'm talking about kingdom expansions. I'm talking about people who don't know Jesus, who come to a place where they do know Jesus. I'm talking about people who are lost, who now become found, who was blind, now become seeing, who were dead and now alive. That's what I'm talking about. But we've got to bring people to Jesus. I happen to believe that this is a great place to do that. So if you're struggling with the telling, if you're struggling with the showing, then don't struggle with the bringing. Invite people to come with you. I hope that all of us are experiencing something good while we're here. Talk about that and say, listen, I think this is a great. Open your ears to opportunities when people are seeking for hope and grace and mercy and love. If they're confused, if they're filled with doubt, if they're, conf- if they're filled with fear, and maybe you don't in the moment feel equipped, bring them to a place where there's people who are. And I'm not just talking about me and the other pastors. I'm talking about everyone that's in this room. If you bring people here I believe that each one of you will begin to rise up and to speak out, and we're going to see people come to know Jesus without an altar call happening. right? But bring people. If you struggle with telling and you struggle with showing, bring people to a place where they can find Jesus. I happen to think that's here. I believe, and the thing that I pray consistently is as soon as people open the door to their car and step out into our parking lot, that all of a sudden they're like, Whoa. If something's different. Something's different here. And if that just continues to grow as they step through the doors and they see your beautiful smiling faces as you have conversations with them, as they enter into worship, that something happens in their life. I believe if we would just bring people, the questions that they would begin to ask would open up the door for you to then give answers to. Right? So we've got to tell people. We've got to show people. But if you struggle with those things, then bring people. Andrew ends up bringing Peter the Messiah. And later on, we read of all the awesome things that Peter does. We're reading about him a few thousand years later. It's Peter who Andrew brought to Jesus. It's Peter who Jesus later says, man, the truth that you just spoke is what the church is going to be built on. Perhaps in these end times when God is just waiting to return, perhaps the person that you bring to Jesus is another Peter. Is another Peter who begins to speak out in the book of Acts. He speaks out with boldness. Now, I, I think that God's calling us all to do this, but perhaps the person you bring to Jesus is the, is the next one to preach. Uh, speak out with boldness and thousands come to know Jesus, right? So if you struggle with telling and showing, just bring people, bring people. Here's the second thing, live with expectation. Listen, there's been a few occasions that my, uh, that my wife has gone out of town and I'm, I'm home with all the kids, and I'll be honest with you, my house is quite different when that happens. When, when Brandy is out of town and, and I'm at home with the kids, things look different, things sound different, things probably smell <laughs> different. Um, you know, for me, there's probably, you know, a few cabinet doors or drawers that remain open for the four days. That she, any other males in the room that you would probably say the same thing, like, yeah, I struggle with closing every cabinet door. I'm not quite sure why that part of my brain doesn't work, but things look different. However, when I know she's returning, <laughs> yes, you know where I'm going with this. When I know she's returning... It's the first time my kids get a bath and I brush their hair. <laughs> I do change diapers the whole time so you can be comforted by that. I'm looking around the the living room to pick up all the things that are never there. I'm looking up the stairway to pick up all the toys that have been dropped on the way down or the way up. I go into the kitchen. This is just this is. I'm just being honest. I go in the kitchen. I'm like, yeah, I probably should take care of all those dishes that have been piling up there for the last few days. The, the whole point is this. I I do things to prepare for G, uh, for her. I was gonna say Jesus. <laughs> She's probably the closest thing to Jesus closest person to Jesus that I know, but there's things that I do to prepare for her return. I don't want my house to look like what it looks like for four days when I know she's coming back because I know that she doesn't want to see it. Listen, it's the same thing in our life. If we live with this expect, uh, expectation that Jesus is going to return, we will live differently. There's things that we'll do differently. I believe if we were convinced that Jesus was returning tomorrow at 8 a.m., there's family and friends that you would immediately go tell, listen, listen, you got to give your life to Jesus. He's coming back tomorrow. Let me tell you what Jesus did for you. He's coming back tomorrow. Everything will be different if we lived with a life of, filled with expectation that Jesus is returning. Could that happen today with us not knowing when he returns? Let's just begin to change just maybe one, two things and see what happens. But we have to live with this expectation that Jesus is returning. So think about your own life. Is there a few things that you would begin to change right now? Is there a few things that you would do right now or in just a few moments? Some of you, I believe, would be so compelled if we knew Jesus is returning in the next 15 minutes, probably most of us would leave this room and we'd be on the phone. We'd be trying to contact Somebody. Who needs to know him? We've got to live with this expectation. So what in your own life would begin to change? What are some things you begin to do? Maybe some things you wouldn't begin, you'd stop doing because you knew Jesus would return. Let's live with expectation. The final thing is this, live with hope. Live with hope. Let's close our eyes. Here's the reality, and this isn't just something we read about. This is something that's going to happen. One day, Jesus will return for us. If you're in this place and you know him to be your savior, he's coming back to gather us up. And in that moment, it's the first moment that we begin to live face to face with Jesus, with God, for eternity, whatever that looks like. We have to live with hope. Listen, one day, we'll never suffer again. One day there's gonna be no sickness. One day there's gonna be no sorrow. There's gonna be no grief. That's hard for my mind to even fathom. One day there's gonna be no pain. One day there's gonna be no more sin. There's gonna be no more presence of sin. There's gonna be nothing that would ever hinder our interaction with God Almighty. Nothing. No more distractions. No more temptations. One day we'll be reunited with friends and family who knew Jesus. One day, one day we're going to stand face to face with God. Listen, maybe you're thinking of more reasons and, I certainly could go on, but these are reasons to live with a hope that fills our every moment. One day these things are going to happen. So let me go back through these three things and we're going to close with a time of worship. The first is let's live with a passion for evangelism. Tell people, show people, or bring people. The second thing is this live with an expectancy with great expectation. And then the last thing is let's live with hope that Jesus is returning. Let's go ahead and stand and worship.